before I go to my sermon text, scripture reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians 5. One of the reasons that I always do a scripture reading from a very different portion of scripture than the passage I preach on, two reasons. Number one, Paul tells a young pastor, be devoted to the public reading of scripture. Public reading of scripture is different from preaching because no one is explaining it or giving the sense. You're just hearing the words of God read to you and the spirit of God can use them in your life. That's one reason. I believe public reading of Scripture is healthy and valuable for a church because it's commanded. That's why it's commanded. But the second reason is I want to be faithful to show you from a different passage of Scripture that what I am going to preach is true not just in one place, but also the whole Scripture testifies to what I am hopefully faithfully proclaiming from the word of God. And so before we go to Psalms, let's look at 1 Thessalonians for a moment, chapter 5, and I'm actually going to start in verse 9. Paul says, God has not destined us as Christians for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That is our hope this morning, that God is faithful. Paul wrote this to a church experiencing intense persecution. They were dying because they were faithful believers in Jesus Christ. And I wanted to read this passage really for one verse. I read the whole passage because I want you to know that Paul says this to a church trying to function as a church, trying to serve the Lord as a body of believers. But there's one sentence that I want to zero in on this morning when we go to the book of Psalms. And that is in verse 18. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. By many standards of measurement, their circumstances were terrible. They were losing their homes. They were being cast out. They they were being fed to lions and set on fire. And Paul tells these persecuted believers, 
in everything give thanks. And why could they give thanks? Because they had something greater. They had something better. They were not destined for God's wrath, but they had the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. So even as they died, they could give thanks. And it's my prayer this morning that as we listen to God's word, that our hearts would be moved to be deeply thankful for what God has done in the past, for what God has done recently in our lives, and for what God will do in the future. I have taken a pause from preaching through the book of Luke, and this is my third message that is a little bit more topical. And two weeks ago, I preached a message from the book of Philippians about the attitude that our church needs to have going forward as we combine services, as we seek to do ministry in Holly in ways that will call people to Jesus, as we seek to grow as a church, Paul prayed for the church in Philippi that they would have abundant love. And it's my prayer that we would be known as a loving church, that we would love God first and foremost, that we would love each other, and that we would love the people that we are called to serve here in Holly. Not only does he pray for their love, he prays that they would have knowledge and discernment so that they can approve what is excellent. So that we can approve what is excellent in worship music, so that we can approve what is excellent in preaching, so that we can approve what is excellent in youth ministry and in prayer meetings and in food ministry. And in every area we need knowledge and discernment so that we don't just serve Jesus with a half heart and mediocrity, but that we serve him with excellence. And it's a matter of prayer. Love giving us knowledge and discernment to approve what is excellent. Paul says, so that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That means that that we would become like Jesus personally and that we would see other people saved so that they know Jesus. So that we're full of the fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. We have to have that perspective as a church so that as we disagree about what is excellent, our love keeps us united. And so that we keep our eye fixed on the goal of good gospel ministry. Gospel ministry that helps Christians be more like Jesus. And gospel ministry that calls people that have never heard of Jesus to know him and love him and be saved. It's good at this time of transition to make sure that we are united around our mission and purpose of gospel ministry, and united in love so that we can move forward. I took last week to talk a little bit about worship through giving. Because one of the ways gospel ministry goes forward is as we as a church support ministries through our giving. And I didn't preach that as a way of putting a burden on anyone, but instead as a way that the scriptures show we express our love for God through faithful giving. And that enables us to do ministry in all of the ways that I have just talked about. 
And so it's my hope that you are inspired, not because I'm strong-arming you, but instead because you understand that you become part of gospel ministry when you are able to faithfully give to gospel ministry. And that's not something that anyone should emotionally manipulate you to do or promise you anything. Instead, you should recognize, like Dave Padgett was talking about, the story of how God has worked in your life And that the things that the church does in order to reach the lost, they cost money. And if we want to be part of that, we need to faithfully give to it. So I spent a week talking about mission and purpose. I spent a week talking about giving and how we worship through giving so that we can accomplish that mission and purpose. And I want to end this pause this week talking about having a heart of thankfulness. Because it's easy, whether it's your personal budget or the church's budget, or whether you're looking at the times in which we live. You know, everybody at every stage of life at some point starts talking about how things were better when they were younger. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes says that's absolutely foolishness. That's, that's dumb. Do not say that the former times were better. This is not true. It's what the Bible says. The reality is God has called us now in this time, and God is good And so there's no reason for us to be living in fear. There's no reason for us to feel like we're not going to make it or anything crazy like that. The Christian attitude, no matter what happens to the rest of the world, the world could be burning down on fire. The Christian attitude is one of thankfulness. And so as I've challenged you to refocus on our mission and purpose, so I've asked you to commit to giving so that we can work together to accomplish that purpose, I want to take this week and say, I don't care what happens with our budget. I want us to have thankful hearts that worship God for what he is doing. And so to accomplish that, I want to ask you to turn to Psalm chapter 145. Book of Psalms chapter 145. And read with me a psalm of David. And I I like, normally when I preach, to to read a portion and preach, and then read another little bit, and then preach a little bit more. What I'd like to do here is actually read the entire psalm, and then I will go back and make references as needed as I preach the entire message, because it hangs together so tightly. I want you to see all of it at once. So if you haven't found it, Psalms is a super easy book of the Bible to find. It's one of the largest books. Find the book of Psalms, right about in the middle, a little bit towards the beginning. Find Psalm 145 and follow along with me as I read. Psalm 145, verse 1 begins, A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is a song of thanksgiving. This is a song that comes from a heart that is full of praise to God. And as we look at it this morning, I want to ask you to do two things. If you mark in your Bible, maybe you want to mark this. If if not, maybe make some notes or just pay careful attention. But notice how often David makes a personal commitment To do something. Notice how often he says things like, I will. You can just underline just those two words. See, David makes it a point to respond to what God has done. God has done great things in the past. And so in the present, David says, I will do a number of things. Verse 1, I will extol you. In other words, I will say all the amazing things and praise you because of what you've done. It says, I will bless your name forever. At verse 2, every day I will bless you. Not just once a week. Not just when it's so obvious I can't help it. But every day I will bless you and praise your name forever. He says that, that as one generation commends works to another, I will meditate on your wondrous works. That's verse 5. So outwardly he's proclaiming, inwardly he's meditating and thinking about what God has done in the past. And then the very last verse of the psalm, he says, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. He makes a personal commitment. He will do these things. That's the first thing I want you to notice. How often David says, I will do this. He plans to do it. He makes time for it. He does it. He chooses to respond to what God has done. Now, the second thing that I want you to notice 
is all the things that God not only has done in the past, but all the things that God has said he will do. Because that's what makes David's praise possible. David mentions works that are done in the past, but he also mentions the character of God so that God will continue to do these amazing things in the present and in the future. So he invites others to recognize the greatness of God and be caught up in praise and thanksgiving with him. Think for a moment about the life of David and what this would have meant in his time. You know, we as Christians, I, I asked Dave to give a testimony because I wanted us as a church to be thinking about the moment when we heard the good news of Jesus, that we can be forgiven for our sins because Jesus died on the cross, and we can have new life because Jesus rose from the dead. And, and the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will be saved. The things that Jesus did are in the past. But the saving happens in the present and in the future for those who don't know him yet. God is at work, not just in the past, but now. And I want to point out to you, sometimes people feel like because Jesus died and rose again 2,000 years ago, such a long time ago, sometimes people act as if the passage of time could make something less true. Or we just can't know for certain because it happened so long ago. What's well, ridiculous? Things don't become untrue because the second hand on a clock has gone around a few times. And I want to point out that there's something about David's testimony here. There's something about David's life here that is deeply true for us. So you think about what it would have been like for David to grow up in the kingdom of Israel. Okay, he, he grows up. He's born probably before Saul is anointed king, so he would have been born under that time during the judges that says, and there was no king in those days, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Or even if he's a little younger than that, and he was born under King Saul, Saul does not unite the kingdom in the worship of God. Having a king does not fix their spiritual problems. Spiritually, it's a dark time. And yet David knows the great things that God has done in the past. In fact, elsewhere in the Psalms, he writes about some of those things. He writes about God's awesome power on display. Really, there are two huge things. He talks about creation and the stunning power of God as David looks at all that God has made. Talks about how God spoke and it came to be. But the second thing he meditates on deeply is the exodus. God's awesome saving power in that moment when God heard the cries of poor broken people and sent Moses. And with strength and with power, he judged Egypt, poured out his plagues, so that Pharaoh let the people of God go in freedom. And then not only did he judge Egypt and welcome them out of Egypt, he parted the Red Sea. He displayed his power. So the people walked on dry ground. And not only did he deliver them and and draw them out through the Red Sea and save them, but he provided manna for them. He fed them. And he gave them his law and he gave him the, the tabernacle where people could come close to God and worship him. And David knows the great history that happened. Here's the thing. That was 800 year old history when David was learning about it. That's ancient history. 
You know, we think of stuff that happened 800 years ago. Think of the 1200s. Can you list anything that happened in that 100 years? The ancient history that, that we think about is just almost non-existent. And for David, the great miracles of the past that he's saying, one generation shall commend your works to another, those are things that are 800 years old. He didn't see them firsthand. And here's the stunning thing about David. When he knew that history, he didn't just think that God would do those things in the past. He trusted his life to the God who would do them in the future. Think for a moment about a story that probably everyone here knows. Think about David and Goliath. David is a shepherd boy among an army of Israelites. They all know the stories of Moses. They all know the promises of God that if you are faithful, I will be faithful to you. You will be the head and not the tail. Your enemies will flee from you. They all know those things. The difference is the rest of the army treats it like ancient history and as if God won't do it. And David says, God will do it now, in my time, in my life. And so David steps out in faith and is willing to put his life on a line and fight a giant because he's trusting that God is not just someone who did great things in the past, but that those things in the past tell you what God will do in the present. That's what Christians are like when they recognize Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. We recognize that's not just a historical event that happened in the past, but that my life can be saved in the present because of that. That the power that was at work when Jesus rose from the dead is the power that's at work in you and I when we trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. We believe that even as we die, we will rise again because the same power is at work in us now. And so I want to challenge you David, in the first seven verses here, makes a commitment to teaching the next generation. And I believe he's able to commit these things to the next generation because they are personally alive for him. If he did not daily, verse 2, bless the Lord, he would have nothing to say to the next generation without being a hypocrite. If it wasn't real to him daily he would not be able to invite other people to praise him. Here's why this matters. This week, we are going to be gathered as families, very many of us. And, and for a lot of families, there'll be this awkward moment. Some families have, you know, you were past the ear of corn around the table. Everybody has to say what, what they're thankful for, right? I remember getting that ear of corn as a kid and being like, I have no idea. I can't think of anything, uh, which said a lot more about me than it did about anything else. As you think about that, and maybe you won't have an obvious opportunity like that, but as you think about that, you have a testimony of what God has done in your life. If you know the Lord Jesus, if you remember your realization that God loved you and would forgive you and give you life and welcome you into his family, if you have had that experience like David, you can commend that experience to the next generation. What will you say this week as we gather together to be thankful? As we think about the future of our church and we wonder, you know, what's going to happen in 2020 and beyond? What's going to happen with our budget? What's going to happen with all these different ministries and traditions? What's going to happen in the future? 
we have a testimony of God's great faithfulness in the past that ought to help us be thankful and not fearful. And our lips should be full of the praises of what God has done rather than the concerns of what he will or will not do in the future. So I want to ask you now, be like David. Have a specific testimony in mind of what God has done for you. How your sins were forgiven. How you've experienced the love of God and the provision of God. You know, when David stepped up to Goliath, that wasn't the first time that he'd trusted God. What does he say to King Saul? He says, as a faithful shepherd, I saw a lion and and another time a bear coming against a sheep. And and God delivered me in those cases. And, And he tested God by putting his faith in action. And he found that God was faithful and so... His lips are full of praise because he's seen the faithfulness of God, not just in ancient history, but from ancient history, he learned to trust God in the present, and so he had confidence that God would continue to provide and continue to protect and continue to bless into the future. All of this is grounded in the rock-solid, unchanging character of God. So my first point today is verse 1 through 7, David's commitment to teaching thankfulness. And I want to invite you to be just like David. Have a heart that's thankful because of what God has done for you. Meditate often on his great works. And not just the great works of the past and the distant past, but the great works that are present, that we have seen God do in our lives. So you can say, not only is God great in the past, but God is great today. Because he's forgiven me, and he's given me hope, and he's given me a future. Be committed to being the kind of person that's able to give that testimony, that's able to teach thankfulness to the next generation. And then number two, in your bulletin, if you, if you look at that, I titled this, The Joy of God, because that's what's the heart of all of this. But verses 8 and 9 show you God's joy in his character. What is God like? He's not like a grumpy abusive father. He's not negligent. He's not absent. He is a source of endless joy. Look at verse 8. It says, the Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. God doesn't save people because they're good. God saves people because he is good. When David talks about God's amazing mercy, how he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, David knows that he is a sinner. And he knows that the people of God are not innocent. But he recognizes God's patience and his mercy and that he continually forgives our sins. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. This is the way that God revealed himself to Moses. You remember the book of Exodus. This is exactly what God says when Moses says, God, show me your glory. God declares that he is gracious and merciful. He doesn't have a short fuse. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. His arms are open. The Lord is good. Who? To to all. To all. It's open. It's open. And his mercy is over all that he's made. Not just part of his creation, not just a few people, but the Lord is good to all. And this is the reason 
that we can claim all of these promises for ourselves. I, I don't know about you. I'm not Jewish. Most of you are not Jewish. Maybe in somebody's distant past. But the reason that you and I can claim these promises is because we are part of the creation of God. And we are welcomed into the family of God through the blood of Jesus so that we are heir to all of these promises. And when it says God is good to all, this is available to us. And so in the last portion of the psalm, David's explosive praise goes global. He's not content to be the only one praising. He wants everyone to join him. So look at verse 10. He says, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. You know, you and I are part of that. If you have been saved and forgiven for your sins and you praise the Lord today, we are part of this verse. We are thankful for what God has done. We are thankful for what he will do. And he talks about how the the kingdom of God is everlasting, how his dominion endures through all generations. That's the kingdom Jesus is talking about that we've been looking about in Luke. He's the king. He is seated on a throne now, and when he returns to rule and reign, that's the kingdom that has no end. That's our hope, that righteousness will reign in all of the earth. And the hope that we have is because the king is good. Look at what David says. He goes back to talking about the character of God, which gives hope for everyone as this praise goes global. Look at verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The Lord has compassion on the weak, those who are suffering. And you think again about the life of David. David is a guy that he was anointed king and he spent 40 years running from Saul who wanted to kill him. He had been promised a kingdom, and instead he lived in a cave. His life was terrible by many ways of measuring, and yet he clung to the precious promises of God. And and you can read, some of his psalms are just raw in real grief and fear because he does not know what's happening as he reconciles the terrible things happening in his life with the awesome promises of God, and the two don't seem to go together. David can speak from a personal testimony that says, the Lord upholds all who are falling because there was a time in his life when David fell. And the reason that we praise is not because we've never faced trials or temptations or pain and loss. The reason we praise is because God upholds us in those things. The hope that we have is that God continually looks to us when we are downcast. David says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Verse 19, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. Man, it, I feel like for a lot of people, they'd look at the second half of that verse and be like, man, this would be a perfect psalm if it weren't for those two lines. It's hard to think about the reality that God judges sin. But if you've been a victim, it gives you hope that God and his goodness will end your suffering by removing the people who are doing evil in your life. 
The focus of this psalm is on the reality that God faithfully answers our prayers and our pleas. God's faithfulness is true not just in the past, but it's true in the present. And David will be the first to tell you there are times, he, he says, that he wets his pillow with tears. He just goes to bed sobbing. He can't even sleep. He would be the first to tell you that there will be nights in your life that are like that. There will be times when you pray for your church and you wish that there was a quick and easy answer and it takes a long time. But he's telling you that God hears you and God saves you. And God grants you the desires of your heart when your heart has been shaped by fear of the Lord, knowing his goodness. And I want to say to you, First Baptist Church of Holly, I've preached two pretty open messages about our vision and where we're going as a church. And I don't know the future, but I do know that God is faithful. And so I want us to leave, not in fear and in anxiety, but, but with hearts that are full of gratitude and thankfulness. And I want to pause and think for just a second about one particular moment in the history of our church, or, or actually a few decades. Some of you know this because I've talked about the guy, but, but in reading some of our old church history records and, and looking at some of those old photos, there's a pastor who served here from 1914 to 1938. Excuse me, 1948. 48, not 38. That matters. His name is Pastor Burnett. I never got to meet him, never got to shake his hand. He's got a tombstone some here, somewhere here in Holly, and, and Gordy told me he'd help me find it sometime, but we're both busy, and there are a lot of tombstones in Holly, so we haven't found it yet. Pastor Burnett served here faithfully during both world wars and the Great Depression. Being a pastor to poor people who are in fear because the Nazis are taking over the world is not anyone's dream of successful ministry. And yet he was faithful. And the church didn't die and the church didn't fold. You know, we, we can talk about the, the fear of a secular society. And we can look and point at different things and, and talk about how America is just off the rails and, and these are crazy times. What do you know about the 1920s? You remember the crazy flappers and and, and all the the people who were running bootleg whiskey? And all the kids who are going out to dance parties and and they're having babies out of wedlock? And and it's nuts. It's crazy. He was a pastor in 1914. He saw this madness. You know, we we like to complain about millennials because millennials, they're just frustrating people. I can say this as a millennial. They don't like to work. They don't like to show up to, you know... I saw something on Facebook just yesterday. Somebody's talking about how the man is oppressing us by making it so that we have to be available full time in order to get benefits. Just how terrible that is. As frustrating as millennials can be, the parents of the greatest generation that we celebrate were insane. They loved to just go dancing and drinking. Ella and Scott Fitzgerald, you know these people that we celebrate in movies because they're part of the great jazz clubs and they they wrote this great literature and stuff like that? They had a baby together that they gave away because they didn't care about their children. That's messed up. It wasn't as if they they said, you know, we can't be responsible. It's like, no, we want to go out and drink and dance and this baby's going to get in the way, so here you go. Pastor Burnett was a pastor while that madness was going on in the 1920s. And when Hitler is trying to take over the world twice. 
And the faithfulness of God saw our church preach the gospel. People were saved. People were baptized. I wish I knew more about that time. I'm not going to get to talk to the guy until the other side of, of, of this life. But God has been faithful to our church in the past. And God has been faithful to you if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so that's the great hope that we have, that God is still faithful to all who call on him. If you are praying and and you are calling on him, asking for his blessing, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I know that he will answer because this says all who call on him. It doesn't say all who call on him except for about 120 people in Holly, Michigan. We are not exempt from this promise. And so there is incredible hope. And I want to urge you and encourage you to be thankful this, series, this season, to spread that thankfulness, to commit to testifying to God's goodness. You've seen it in the cross, you've seen it in our church, and you've seen it in your life. Now will you testify about it and spread it and be thankful? Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, the scripture teaches that you are the source of every good gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. I ask that by your spirit, you would raise our gratitude, that we would be a thankful people. We want to thank you for your great love for us, that we know your great love because of the good news of Jesus, that someone in your kindness and in your mercy, shared with us that Jesus poured out his blood for our sins, dying in our place. And we know that your heart is a heart of love because you did not withhold your son, but you gave him up as a sacrifice for us. Thank you for your love. Thank you that Jesus willingly made that sacrifice. Lord, we praise you and thank you for the power of the resurrection and the hope that comes with it. Father, we thank you that you poured out your Holy Spirit, that we are not alone, that we have the power of your Spirit at work within us to equip us and to convict us and to purify us so that we can minister in your power. Lord, we thank you for his presence and ask for more. Father, we thank you for guiding us and for providing for us. Lord, we thank you that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and that you you make us part of your family. We thank you that you welcome us as sons and daughters into your family with all of your joy and all of your love and all of the feasting that comes with it. Lord, we thank you that you are a father who delights in your children. That in your presence there is abundant joy. You are the God who loves to throw the feast for the repentant sinner. And you see him while he's a long way off. We thank you for this week. A a time to be thankful and to celebrate your goodness and your provision. Lord, we thank you even for the good food that we use to celebrate this time. Lord, let us eat as an act of worship because you are the giver of good gifts. We thank you for the family that we enjoy. Father, I want to pray for those this year who are grieving, who have lost loved ones, who have buried great people this past year. I pray that you would comfort them. 
Lord, I do want to pray for those who are lonely this year, that, that you would comfort them, that they would find love and fellowship as part of our church. And Father, we thank you for your word, which brings us life and revives the soul. And Lord, I thank you for Psalm 145, the word that we've looked at this morning. God, I ask that you would revive us now, that your word would remain in us as we leave here. And in the name of Jesus, the living word, we pray that you would do all of these things and more for your eternal, everlasting praise and the glory of your name. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.